0: Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis.
1: Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 516 with David Wood. David is sharing how to make difficult conversations all the more manageable. So you'll learn one, what makes difficult conversations so difficult in the first place. Two, the four-step blueprint for tackling such conversations. And three, the simplest way to receive more quality feedback. So if you want to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F516. And if it's your first time listening to How to Be Awesome at Your Job, I see there's some new folks. Welcome. I recommend you check out some of the very first episodes at the top of your podcast at Player's Feed. In between episodes numbered zero and one, there's those labeled A, B, C, D, E, F. And those are some of the favorites based on download numbers and engagement numbers and they're really swell. So you might want to get started there. And welcome to the family. It's great to have you. Now here's David's story. After life as a consulting actuary to Fortune 100 companies, David built the world's largest coaching business, becoming number one on Google for life coaching. He wants every human to play the best game they possibly can in work and life and to have zero regrets when they die. David coaches both high-performing leaders and soon-to-be-released prison inmates to higher levels of truth, daring, and caring. David's about to share some pro tips on making difficult conversations more manageable. And I dare say that a good night's sleep and some prudent self-care upfront can make all the difference in making those conversations seem more approachable. And our sponsor, Brooke Lennon, can help you with that. If you spend a third of your life in sheets, why not make that time ridiculously comfortable? Brooklyn offers hotel-quality sheets at an affordable price. Fun fact, Brooklyn was the first consumer bedding company, which means they work directly with the manufacturers and directly with consumers. Thusly, there's no middlemen, just a great product and service. They won Good Housekeeping's Best of Online Bedding category and have the admiration of 35,000 five-star reviewers as well as myself. They've got luxury sheets, towels, and bedding without the luxury markup. You can choose from over 20 colors and patterns that you can even mix and match. I am personally rocking the steel color. It looks just gorgeous, and it feels so delightfully comfortable and luxurious and pleasant. They are the best sheets that I've ever owned, and and Brooklinen.com just so happens to be having their biggest sale ever occurring between Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And the only way to get access to that biggest event and enjoy the free shipping is to go to Brooklinen, that's spelled B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com before December 3rd. If you have to be hearing this past that time frame, you can still use the promo code awesome at brooklinen.com for 10% off and free shipping anytime. All their products come with a lifetime warranty. So grab those sheets with the great deal with the promo code awesome at brooklinen.com spelled B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com with the promo code AWESOME. Lennon, these are the best sheets ever. Now, here's David. David, thanks for joining us here on How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Hey, my pleasure. Well, I'd love to kick it off if you could share an interesting story about some of your work with people in prison. Well, I'm moved. I'm moved by their
2: stories. And I'm I'm particularly moved by some of the tough conversations that they need to have. There's one inmate who uh, we interviewed we took in a film crew and we interviewed her and she was part of a robbery. She didn't actually do the robbery, but she conspired to plan the robbery and they didn't follow the plan. They did something else and someone got shot and killed. So she got sentenced to 25 years in prison for planning a robbery whose plan wasn't followed. And one of the toughest conversations of her life that was coming up when I spoke to her and I haven't spoken to her since she had it was she said, how do you explain to the widow of your victim how sorry you are? How do you say, I, I understand that your kids are now suicidal and you've lost your husband and it was all because of a, um, something that I set in motion. How do you explain how sorry you are? And uh, I didn't really have an answer for that. So that's one story I am moved by. I moved by many of the inmates and what they're facing on a daily
1: basis. I'm intrigued. So in terms of your life's work and expertise, what is it you think that causes you to return to this population again and again? I
2: keep wondering why, why I go back into prison. I think uh, initially it was a fascination with confronting my, my own freedom, Because I think that we take so many things for granted. And I wanted to see what was it like to go in and serve this underprivileged population. And then when I got in there, I found out how grateful they were. They were really humble and they were really listening. They wanted to learn how am I going to communicate with a potential employer? How am I going to handle tough conversations with my family while I'm in prison? And then when I get out, since they're blaming me for everything that's gone wrong. So um, they're listening and they want to know. And then when, when we leave there, they're just so grateful. They said a lot of people won't come and spend the time with us. Thank you so much. So it gives me a chance. My, a lot in my life is going really well and it gives me a
1: chance to, to do some service. Cool. And can we zoom out a little bit? I'd like to hear a bit about your philosophy and organization, Play for Real. What does this mean?
2: Well, I believe we're all playing a game. I know not everybody has that viewpoint, but I think life is the greatest game there is and the stakes are very high. Like Literally, we can die. So the stakes don't get much higher than that. But if you don't know that you're playing a game, what can happen, let's say in your job, you can get tense. You can start to feel overwhelmed you can start to get a bit crabby and snap at people because now you're stressed and you've forgotten that you're playing a game. So I'd like everybody to be able to tap into the flow of life by remembering this is a very high stakes game. But I don't mean we're being frivolous about it and we're just like dancing through the daisies with butterflies floating around our hair, not a care in the world. I'm saying let's play the game, but let's play it like we mean it. Let's play it as if we may not get another chance to be reincarnated and live a second life. Let's play, but let's play for real. So to me, that means let's try and live so that on our deathbed, we will have zero regrets and say we absolutely gave our job and our relationships and our life everything that we possibly
1: could. Mm, That's powerful. And so we're going to spend most of our time talking about how real conversations are difficult conversations, how that plays into it. But just to get oriented to the broad picture, you lay out four particular obstacles or enemies of playing for real. So what are those? And can you give us the quick version of how to overcome them?
2: Yeah. So one thing that people are missing is real goals. They're going through life, but they haven't actually set goals that light them up. So that'd be the first thing that's missing. The second thing Suppose, suppose you have goals, you know where you're heading, but not everybody sits down and creates a strategic plan and says, this is exactly what needs to happen for me to achieve those goals. So we're just talking about a lack of a strategic plan. The third one is there's no real action. It's one thing to have a plan. It's another thing to implement the damn plan so many of us get distracted by Facebook messages and text messages and people coming and knocking on the door that we don't actually take action on the things that, say that that we say matter. So lack of real action is the third one. And then the fourth one is lack of real growth. And I've identified three values that I've found critical to up-leveling in life and business, and that's increasing your truth increasing your levels of daring and increasing your levels of caring. So by addressing these four, we can actually create real goals. We can create a real plan. We can get in real action. And by increasing levels of truth, daring, and caring, we can actually have real growth in our life. And if you follow all four of those, then I say that leads to a regret-free life.
1: And I think that makes a lot of sense to me in terms of, yeah, I can see these four things need to be in place to really move forward on cool stuff that matters. And if we increase the truth and daring, that's going to certainly help you out there. Now, I guess I have a bit of a picture or an assumption, at least, on how daring and caring apply and how they're special. But can you expand upon increasing truth. What does that mean and how is it done? Right. Well, let's say this is about being awesome at your job. Right, So if
2: you want to be more awesome at your job, let's look at how you can increase your levels of truth. Now, if you're not speaking up and talking about something that doesn't work for you, then you're hurting yourself and you're hurting the team. So let's say Bill over in accounting is doing something that's actually slowing down your job and you stay silent. Well, that doesn't really help anybody. So by increasing our levels of truth, we can start to speak up about What I need, about what the team needs, and about what the company needs. It might be that you need a pay rise. And so by you sharing that with your boss, you're increasing your level of truth. And I actually have a secret mission. I want everybody in the world to increase their levels of personal responsibility, to increase their levels of agency, so that we're speaking up and we're causing the matter instead of just being passive. Or, compl- or even worse, complaining or gossiping. So that's an example of how we might increase truth. Now, to increase daring, I think you can start to see how it goes hand in hand. For you to speak up and be the squeaky wheel at work, it might take some courage. To go to your boss and say, may I have more money? Or can I get a transfer to this environment? Or, hey, I think I'm being... Um, discriminated against sexually in the workplace. All of these things take daring to speak up. Also, it's daring to say, can I have that Japanese account? Or to say to a prospective customer, how about you sign up for a year instead of one month? So those are just some examples of the daring. And then caring, you can care for your fellow workmates And actually care that they do a good job and that they're doing well and that they're feeling appreciated. You can care for your direct reports. You can care for the relationships between you and your customers. You can care for your personal relationships and nurture the relationship with your kids, with your parents, with your spouse. And you can also practice self care because burnouts becoming a bigger and bigger problem in the workplace. And if we're not taking care of our nutrition and our rest and our exercise, then eventually we are going to burn out and we're going to, it's going to whack us with a big stick. So does that answer your question of how to increase levels of truth, daring and caring?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I've got a broad picture for how that unfolds there. So now, yeah, let's just talk when it comes to pulling all of that and you've got some conversations that are tricky. I mean, for starters, I mean, it's more philosophical. Let's see how it goes. What makes a difficult conversation difficult in the first place? Fear of loss. We're usually worried about losing
2: something. So a difficult conversation at work could be, again, you know, may I have a pay rise? We might be worried about annoying our boss and getting cut out of the next project. Or maybe the boss says, you know, we really don't have the budget to support your salary and you've just reminded me you're fired. Or let's suppose with our partner, a really tough conversation uh, can be a confession. hey, i I kissed someone and broke an agreement three years ago, and I want to come clean about it. we We could lose that relationship. So fear of loss is one of the biggest things that makes something a tough conversation. The other thing which I think is linked to this is vulnerability. We can't control a tough conversation. We can't control the other person's reaction. they get upset, they get defensive. We can't control what they do. We can't even control how the conversation goes. So we're stepping into vulnerability to have a tough conversation. And I can understand why a lot of people might want to just sweep
1: that under the carpet. Okay, so that's why it's tricky. So then how do we go about having these conversations effectively? Well, I have a four-step blueprint. And by the way,
2: tough conversations, I've been interested in those for 10 years and helping my clients, but it's only recently that I realized How well they fit into truth, daring and caring because it's all about telling the truth. It takes a lot of daring to have a tough conversation and it takes a lot of caring to do it right. So I've been very excited when I realized, Oh, this is a way I can express truth, daring and caring in the world. And one of the ways that we can play for real. So how we do it is I have a four step blueprint. And if you like, we can give listeners a download at the end of this. So they don't have to write down a whole bunch of notes.
1: Oh, sure. Let's do that too. So, okay. Four steps.
2: Yeah. Four steps. And if you like, we, we can use an example with an authority figure. So, you know, it could be uh, something that you, you want to say to your boss, or we had an example with one of the prison inmates and she was saying, when the guard was late to his shift, that meant that I couldn't be where I needed to be in the prison. And I got chewed out by another guard and it really impacted my life. And she said, how do I have that tough conversation with an authority figure who has the ability to make my life hell? And anyone with a job knows that their boss has a lot of power over them financially, uh, their work hours, a whole bunch of things. So, So we can use that as an example, perhaps. Step one is you ask permission for the conversation. Don't just launch into it. So with this prison inmate, for example, she could say to the guard, uh, excuse me, Mr. Smith. Do you have just a few minutes for a quick conversation? And this is a good point to share your hope for the conversation. And, uh, and we'll give listeners a worksheet as well. When they download the four step blueprint, there's a worksheet so you can prepare for this. And that's where you'll work out your hope. Now, her hope was, my hope is you could understand a little more about, um, what it's like to be an inmate. And that hopefully that might influence some of your decisions in the future. Something like that. Or my hope is that my life might be a little bit easier if you understand a bit more what it's like. And then step two, this is where you can share your fear or concern. Now, I guarantee there's a fear or concern, or you wouldn't be calling it a tough conversation. So in her example, I'm hesitant to bring this up because I don't want to offend you. You might feel offended or defensive and you might might not want to listen to me, and I might get in trouble. And then step three, this is where you share the issue. And if you have a request from your worksheet, this is where you'd put in the request. So in her example, again, it might be something like, when you were late, I got in a lot of trouble. I got chewed out and I couldn't pick up my property. And uh, and it it really had an impact. And my request is to whatever extent you're able to, if you could try and be on time, then I'd be really grateful. And then step four, the last one, I think can be the most important. This is where you get curious and you listen and negotiate. We don't want to have tough monologues. We want to have tough conversations. And this is also where caring comes in. So it might look in this example, something like, I'm wondering how is it for you to hear that? Does that make sense? Uh, Does that sound workable? Do you have a better idea? I'd love to hear anything you've got to say. You don't want to just dump this and then run. And you may find out. She may find out that this corrections officer may have a better idea than she had. The corrections officer may be like, "Look, I'll speak to the other CO." And I'll smooth things over for you. Or I can't guarantee I'll be on time, but I'll help you out if you get in trouble because of it. We don't know, but that's the point. Step four is get curious and then we listen and negotiate.
1: Okay, yes, I like that. It makes sense. And it's handy when you sort of have, I don't know, a preamble, but you share those bits in advance. And I think it makes them more kind of sympathetic or appreciative that you're a human being and you have some sensitivities, vulnerabilities, and you're not trying to attack them.
2: That's right. It's relational and it's vulnerable. It's like, here's my hope out of this. Here's my fear or concern out of this. I'm a real person. I'm kind of at my edge here. Changes the whole space. And people are more, I find they're more likely to listen When you show a bit of vulnerability and let them know the context of what's going on, instead of just you working out it in in your head and then launching into a tough monologue, uh, trying to get what you want.
1: Okay, well, let's do another scenario here. And I think this happens a lot in workplaces. Okay, let's say you are responsible for your project to get done. And that has any number of dependencies from other departments, which you don't really have control or authority over those folks who need to provide some key stuff or inputs for you to get the job done. And so you've got to do some of these prompts or follow-ups to get the goods. Like, hey, you didn't give me your stuff when I needed it. But I've always found that sort of tricky in the environment in terms of how do I do an appropriate follow-up and when and what are the prompts I should be using to get what I need without being sort of an offensive or pestering because I don't want them to think who is this guy and why is he always in my business pestering me nonstop. So yeah, okay, there's a scenario. Let's walk through how you'd approach such conversations. Perfect example and very similar to this inmate who wanted something from,
2: from someone else who had some authority. Uh, she couldn't control it. So it was really a request. And, and you've in giving that preamble, I think you've given all the answers we need. So first step would be asking permission, right? We're not going to dump it on someone. We're going to say, hey, if you've got a few minutes to talk about this project, and this is where you'll slip in your hope. My hope is we can be more more in sync as a team, and uh, and and to be honest, that I'm going to look even better with my boss, for example. Right? I'm just I'm making that up, but I probably want to look good with my boss. So that's my hope. And then my fear or my 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 concern about bringing it up is, I know you don't report to me. I know it's not your job to make me look good, and I don't want to be too obnoxious. I don't want to be stepping on your toes, and I don't want to put you offside. So a little hesitant to bring it up, but I think it's worth talking about. So now we've been real, we've shared a hope, we've shared a concern. And then step three, share the issue and include a request if you have one. So the issue is, I would share the impact. You know, when I get the material later than you said it's coming, there's a whole pipeline that gets messed up and it ends up taking us longer. And then sometimes I get in trouble for it. That's the impact. And so my request is that if we can be more rigorous around our deadlines, and if you don't think you can get it to me by Thursday, give me a firmer deadline of Monday. But if you say Thursday at five o'clock, my request is that we be a bit more rigorous with it. Do you think that would work? And now I'm already going to slip straight into, into number four. What do you think about this? Have you got any other ideas? because this isn't quite working, and I'd I'd really like to find something that does work.
1: And so defensiveness pops up during the course of these conversations. Do you have some pro tips for navigating that?
2: Yeah, and I like what you said. Like, I don't want to be obnoxious. I don't want to be nagging all the time. So I'll share that concern and I'll say, how do I request things from you without being a nag? How do I do it? Do you have a suggestion for language? Do you, like, I really like your ideas on this because I'm a little bit stumped and then you work it out together.
1: Okay, sure. Now, can we talk about going first? I've got Stephen Covey in my head here now saying, you know, seek first to understand, then be understood. How do you think about that sequencing or timing of who's going first and when is it optimal?
2: Yeah, yeah, great. I love that. So in the, in the download, you'll get some pro tips. And one of the tips is if you find that the other person is not really listening, they're just jumping in. So you say something like, you know, when, if I get the things later than we said, then I said, oh, well, look, my boss was doing this and blah, blah, blah. You know, they're not listening. Then you could try some words like this. Um, hey, I want to hear that. And I want to, I want to try and get this out in one go. Do you think you could give me just two minutes and I think I can, I can cover all the bases. And then I'd love to hear everything you've got to say. So we'll just take, take turns at. Is it okay if I go first? And if it's not, okay, maybe you go first and I'll listen first. I'm okay with that. The main thing is that you take turns and that there's actually two-way communication instead of someone just getting triggered and kind of running the show. If that happens, make the request, can I go first? And if not, you go first.
1: Can you say the question again about the sequence of timing? Oh, sure. So we talked about, can I go first? And I'm thinking about Stephen Covey here with one of those seven habits of seek first to understand, then to be understood. So how do you think about the timing and the sequencing of who goes first and talking versus listening? And are there particular circumstances in which you recommend listening first? Or just how do you think about that?
2: Well, I think it's sometimes a matter of charge, like who has the charge. So if you're the one that has some emotional charge on something and you're a bit at your edge, uh, you might just want to request permission. Can, can we talk about this? Can I share this issue? And if you get a yes, go for it and then find out their reaction. So I think it makes total sense for you to go first. If you think that they might have a little, uh, a bit of charge, let's say that you think they're really upset with you about something, then you might say to them, look, I want to have a conversation about this and I can go first if you like, or if you like, you go first and I'll listen and then we'll... And then we'll switch. So you can still ask permission for the conversation, but then you might throw it up in the air. Because if they've got a lot of charge, then the chances are higher they're going to get triggered, angry, defensive, upset, something like that. And I might want to preempt it and let them just just hear their issue first. But sometimes you're taking something to someone where you don't even know if they've got an issue. So I don't think we have to artificially try and get their side first. I think it's fine to, to just lead in and
1: see if there's permission for you to share your side. I got you, thank you. And then in terms of sort of managing in your own head and the emotions in the midst of these conversations, anything you recommend on how you can do that well? So if you're starting to like freak out, do you have some tips for if you're feeling a little scared, nervous, anxious and some things show up that you weren't expecting, what do you do? I can see why you've
2: got so many good reviews on your podcast You ask really good questions. Well, thank you. So yeah, we're talking about some emotional regulation now. If you know that you're going to have an issue, for example, I um, had a podcast host say, how do I share with my mother uh, who's got Alzheimer's and is dying, how do I share with her all the things that I've been disappointed about in my life? You know, I I want to have no, no secrets between my mother. Now that's a tough conversation. And one of the tips that I, I gave her was to talk it out first with a friend or even journal it, like get it out. Don't take all your charge about your disappointment, about how your mother raised you and dump it on your mother. Better to go through your worksheet, work out your hope, work out your, your fears you might write down all your disappointments talk them out with a friend in this way you can release a lot of that emotional charge so that when you go into the live conversation you can be more matter of fact and deal with the facts and say yeah i was disappointed about a few things here are a couple of the key ones and now that i've talked it out with a friend i've realized that you were actually doing the best you could those kinds of insights can come out of doing this and I've also, I had one client who's a manager in a tech company, and she said, I'm worried about this tough conversation with my staff. They're going to give me feedback on my management style. What if I get triggered? What if I get defensive and shut down? Which is a super smart thing to be aware of. So I said, all right, great. We're going to practice it. I'm going to be your employee and I'm going to give you feedback and I'm not going to go very easy on you. We're going to see how you go. So she got to role play it. And I started, I started easy just with a few things and she handled it really well. And then finally I said, you know, basically you're just clueless. And that was too much. So we found her edge and she shut down. And then we slowed down and we worked through it, found out why she was shut down. And I, and she learned a new language. She learned how to say, ouch, that hurt instead of pretending and covering it up. So, long answer to a short, powerful question, you can role play it and you can talk it out with friends first to release a lot of that
1: charge so that you'll be more settled when you actually have it. Oh, that is good. And while we're talking about feedback and being on the other end of some of this, the other perspectives in terms of, you know, how can we be open to the feedback and encourage and receive it and put it to use all the more often?
2: One way, this might seem flippant, but one way that we can get good feedback more often is to listen to the feedback we get. Now I'll put myself up um, and confess straight away that this isn't automatic for me. Someone says uh, something that I perceive as critical, my first thought might be to, to defend. Well, the reason that happened was blah, 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 blah. I'm not listening. I'm not listening to their experience. So if you can catch yourself and go, oh, wait a minute, I just... I just reacted to that. Let me slow down and listen to this. All right. You're saying when I deliver this late, it has an impact on you and you get in trouble with your boss. All right. um, So, what I need to do is to be better about managing my deadlines. Now, if I'm willing to actually listen to someone's world instead of just defending myself, they're more likely to come to me next time and say, Hey, you know, that conversation went well. How about this one? Would you be willing to try this? But how many people do you know at work who just historically have not been open to requests or criticism or f- feedback that's less than glowing? And so you're less... I know people that I'm not going to give them any feedback because they're bumpy and they're just not open to it. So I stopped giving it to them. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I've got um, this manager I was just talking about. She's, she wants feedback. She wants to be a great manager and she knows to be a great manager, she's got to know if there's a problem. So she's gone to each of her team members and said, Would you be willing to tell me if there's something I'm doing that, that's not the best? And she told them a story about her boss. She'd say to her boss, uh, What could I do better? And the boss is like, Oh, everything's good. Everything's good. Now you're doing great. What happens? And then when it came to review time, the boss said, well, here are five things you could have done better. And she was naturally pissed. She's like, I wanted that feedback. I could have been better already. So she told that story to her staff to let them know that she really does value the feedback and to model for them uh, what it's like to actually request feedback so that some of them could go, oh, and same here. Let me know if I can do something better. Real
1: ninja move to cultivate that. Excellent. Well, David, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things?
2: Well, I like talking about my favorite things. So let's shift gears.
1: If you don't enjoy shifting gears away from making cool stuff towards the administrative side, when you're running your own business or side hustle, check out our sponsor HoneyBook, because sometimes all them proposals, contracts, and tracking down payments can really bog you down and sap that enthusiasm. But HoneyBook can really help. HoneyBook is an online business management tool that organizes all your client communications, bookings, contracts, and invoices into one handy, convenient place. You can save time and make things look gorgeous with their thoughtful professional templates, invoices, proposals, intake questionnaires, e-signatures, payments, and more. Oh my, which all together provide for a great integrated client experience that really just makes you look all the more awesome at your job. HoneyBook has really thought things through. These little details I just really geek out over. I love it. So for example, when I added my logo, HoneyBook automatically suggested a button color based upon the color in my logo. I didn't have to dig up the hex code and do a color match. They just did that for me and it looked great and sensible and all fit together nicely. So those beautiful, thoughtful, professional time-saving features have made HoneyBook the number one choice for client management for freelancers and small business owners. Right now, HoneyBook is offering our listeners a whopping 50% off when you visit honeybook.com slash awesome. And you can choose flexibly whether you'd like to pay monthly or annually, you still get that 50% off. So go to honeybook.com slash awesome for half off of your first year. One more time, that's honeybook.com slash awesome. All right, let's do it. How about a favorite quote, something you find inspiring?
2: Well, I'm gonna quote myself because I said something a couple of months ago and it stuck with me. And it feels so core to the work I'm doing. And what I said was the tough conversations we haven't had form the boundaries of our world. They literally form the boundaries of our reality. But the tough conversations we do have become the defining moments of our relationships, our careers, and our lives. And how about a favorite study or experiment
1: or a bit of research?
2: Favorite bit of research? Well, there's a an assistant professor on the east coast of the US who surveyed, uh, I think it was 150 hospice nurses to find out what people actually regret on their deathbed. You hear so much talk about, oh, on your deathbed, people wish they hadn't spent so much time at the office, blah, blah, blah. But where's the research? Well, I'm telling you, there isn't any. This guy has got the closest piece of research. It's very hard to get to the actual people dying due to uh, privacy laws and permissions of the hospital and family and all these things. I've tried. But he actually researched uh, the nurses and found, uh, say, the top five regrets of the dying. So that's that's one of my favorite pieces of research, just because it's the closest that exists to what I really want to see, which is actually asking those
1: who are dying. And for those who haven't seen the study, could you share a couple of them?
2: Oh, um, being true to oneself. that That's one. And I may not have the words right, but being true to oneself, speaking up for you instead of living other people's dreams. That's one. And, and I think an example of that would be telling people how much you love them. And I can relate to that. When I imagine being on my deathbed, there's a scan and I've, I've been near death. I've been sitting on a plane with the engine caught on fire. I've had my parachute collapse and, and head plummet towards the ground. And I've scanned, is there anything left? Is there anything left unsaid? In fact, I turned to my partner with the, the engine on fire and said, we're good, right? Is there anything we haven't said? And we agreed we were, we were solid. I want that experience for everybody, that you don't die with anything left unsaid. And how about a favorite book? I'm a fan of the work of Byron Katie. And so I'm going to mention Loving What Is because it was my first introduction. I didn't get a grasp of the work from that book, but it was what led me to go further with Katie and finally get a grasp on the work. So Loving What Is by Byron Katie will start to introduce to this. And that reminds me of a quote of hers, which is one of my favorites, which is, the worst thing that can happen to you is a thought. It's a whole game changer to start to realize that circumstances don't give us our experience of our life. It's what we're believing that gives us our experience of life. And Katie gives us a way to hack those painful thoughts
1: to get to peace. And is there a favorite tool you'd recommend to people to be more awesome at their jobs? Yeah, I'll recommend the four-step
2: blueprint for tough conversations, which we will give you listeners in in a few minutes. And a favorite habit? Ooh, I like something called somatic sequencing. It's new. This is new for me. I've been running from a lot of the sensations in my body for years and years. And I believe this is why people pick up a cigarette or they smoke or they uh, have a glass of wine or take some medication to kind of numb ourselves or watch TV. But I've been experimenting with a therapist in feeling the feelings Like I'll go and lay down a special place in the house and I'll be like, what is happening in my body? And I'll just feel it. And I will try and welcome everything that's happening. And that's been a bit of a game changer for me. So that'll be my new favorite tool or practice. And
1: if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them?
2: You can go to playforreal.life. At playforreal.life, you can download the blueprint. If you are serious about up-leveling in career, and life at the same time, then see if you qualify for a discovery session with me. If you do, I don't charge for those sessions. And I have joined the ranks of the podcasters in the last week, Pete. And uh, if you'd like to listen to me as well as Pete, then Tough Conversations with David Wood is a new podcast you can subscribe to, again, at
1: playforreal.life. Cool. Well, David, thanks. It's been a whole lot of fun. I wish you all the best and keep on doing the great work as you're playing for real. Thanks, Pete. I appreciate you. And I appreciate David for sharing that great insight and his time with us, as well as I appreciate our sponsor, Everly Well. If you'd like to start some great conversations about your health with some easy, useful data, definitely check out Everlywell. Everlywell provides a whole host of anti-home health tests. For example, they sent me an easy food sensitivity test to help me get to the bottom of any problematic foods. And for me, they pinpointed eggs as potentially problematic and everything else was totally fine, which blew me away. Eggs, I never would have made that guess. And so now I am experimenting a bit to see what impacts eggs can make on my daily energy levels and joint pains. And so now I've got a really clear, targeted, actionable lead instead of just a broad-based suggestion of, hey, eliminate all 96 of these potentially problematic foods, which would be really hard. And Dubs, everything well really does covered 96 foods in that test. It's quite impressive. And they've also got 35 other at-home lab tests, which include things from that food sensitivity to thyroid to heart health. Each Everlywell collection kit comes with very easy to follow instructions. I was able to follow those instructions and send my blood sample in less time than it takes me to ride to a nearby clinic, let alone hang out in their waiting room, have the actual test done and ride back. So way faster. Those certified lab results got reviewed by a physician and then sent to me digitally within six days. I timed them for reals. It was quick. The Everly Well digital platform also helps break down exactly what those results mean in a clear, beautiful format. And you can even set up a free discussion with a healthcare professional directly through that Everly Well platform. So to start learning more about your health like I did, check out the Everly Well at-home lab tests. And for 15% off an Everly Well at-home lab test, Visit everlywell.com slash awesome and enter the code awesome. Once again, that's everlywell.com slash awesome, code awesome for 15% off your tests. Everly Well at Home Lab tests, your answers, your way. I think David really shared some really nice nuggets there with regard to how to engage in those conversations. I think my favorite step that he laid out was the very first one with regard to sharing your hope and asking for their permission. And the second step is sharing your fear or concern. And that just sort of sets the whole stage in terms of, hey, I'm human, I'm vulnerable. I know this is gonna be kind of tricky and this is sort of what I'm going for and this is where I'm coming from. So let's see what we can do, kind of endearing you and sort of getting things off to a great start from the get-go. So good stuff from David. Again, if you wanna check out the show notes, the transcript, the links to hours we've referenced, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep516. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. You'll catch our next guest. It's Tim Campos. Tim was in charge of and successfully doubled the productivity at Facebook. And he's gonna share a few of his master secrets for pulling that off and what we can do to double our productivity in daily life. Hope to catch you there and peace.
0: Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time?